0: Alright, so today you're asking about Paticchus Samupada. Do you have any particular questions for us to start, or shall we start at the beginning?
1: <laughs> Let me see. No, I mean, it seems to start at contact, but wherever you feel appropriate to begin with.
0: Okay, well, let's get to the point of how do we get contact? What is it that contacts us? Is it one of the things that come out of the sixth sense base? Is it sensory input that contacts us? The answer to that is no, not the raw stuff, the processed the consciousness okay so um perhaps the way of even thinking about it is is the the um the fresh produce well first let's go to the boxed food in the grocery store the the food that's in a box let's say um craft noodles right those noodles are food right right but they've been highly processed right that you don't find noodle trees or noodle bushes noodles are are, are are processed food okay now let's go to the to the groceries uh the fresh produce the vegetables would uh, are that's also food would you say that it's also been processed in a way in a way absolutely Without that processing, it wouldn't be in your hand.
1: Yeah, precise.
0: There was all kinds of processes that got that from that bush, wherever it was, a tomato plant way out there in the field uh, that you don't know, perhaps in a foreign country. And a whole lot of hands and a whole lot of processes, including that it was picked out among other tomatoes selectively to be put on that shelf. Okay, so that it goes through a lot of process. So by the time you get it, by the time that fruit contacts you, or by the time those noodles contact you, they have been processed. We want to also look at the way that the mind works like that also, is, is that things get processed. It's not the raw input that contacts us, but it's processed goods. What is it processed with? And what is the process? The process is called Nama Rupa, and it is the process of turning the physical object that the eye sees into a mental image that contacts us. Okay, and the mental image that contacts us uh, is processed Uh, with perception and it's processed using ingredients from the past so that every present moment is actually tainted with the past we can either do that wisely or we can do that ignorantly Mm -hmm. mostly we do it ignorantly an example of it is that you see someone in a uniform and because you recognize the uniform, you already decide who that person is based upon the uniform that they're in. This is just an example, but we do it all the time. So if you see someone dressed in a local police uniform, then you think he's police. If you see someone dressed in an SS costume, you wonder what that is. But if in 1944 it would have been an SS officer, now it's more than likely either a police a Halloween costume or uh, he's doing a part in a movie mm-hmm. you see a nun's habit and you recognize that that must be a nun in that habit right this is the way that it goes but that's not always the case that we can't judge always a book by its cover so what we're really saying is is that what contacts us is something that we perceive through perception rather than what it actually is and we could go so far as to then say that the definition of dukkha is that the the closer what we perceive or what contacts us is to reality then the less likely there is to be dukkha there and that the further our perceptions are the uh, internal representation is that contacts us, the further that is from the actual reality of the situation, then the more likely there is to be dukkha. Does that make sense to you? In when other you words, s- when you're spot on, there's less dukkha than if you're s- s- sorely mistaken.
1: And, and when you say actual reality, you're referring to um, what, this exactly? present
0: moment, this present moment, what's happening around you, your universe, okay. your perceivable universe in this moment.
1: So does that also include the perception that's incorrect?
0: And Well, if you perceive something incorrectly, but, then that's dukkha.
1: But knowing or it's or incorrect, subjective. like um, uh, being aware this is a perception that's incorrect, as opposed to absorbed in that perception is right I guess I'm just trying this to this is what that.
0: investigation is all about the okay. whole quality then of investigation is to pay more and more attention to actually what's happening and paying less and less attention to what it meant in the past okay and more and more of what it means right now
1: yeah I, I guess what I mean is like when a perception comes up that's wrong It's recognized, ah, this is an incorrect perception. And then that takes you closer to what reality actually is, correct?
0: Precisely so. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: Now we can use that in the process of our, uh, uh, let us call it our meditation, that we're sitting and we have a thought of something terrible happened last month and that I did it. I made a huge mistake. And when I make that huge mistake, and now I'm thinking about that huge mistake, uh, the feelings of guilt, remorse, uh, sadness, um, uh, and those kind of feelings would occur. Now, those feelings may have been appropriate right then when I did it. But this is a month later. Right? A month ago. Which means that now, I'm not the same person. So the right kind of thought now, a new investigation for this present moment is to recognize, wait a minute, that was long ago. It's not happening in this present moment. That I am coloring this present moment and feeling about this present moment to something that was uh, uh, actually from the past. So my present moment is being colored by the past. And when I recognize that, I can say, wait a minute, I don't have to think about that right now. I could be here now. That was in the past. That was not me. I don't do that kind of thing anymore. I'm not doing it now. There's no reason to feel bad now because I'm not doing it now. Okay, so this is a way of um, understanding what actually contacts us is not the reality of the moment unless we are wise. If we are wise, then we allow uh, very little perception and very little, um, let us say, um, trying to make sense out of something. And often when we're trying to make sense out of something, that means that we're trying to make sense out of it in a critical way. To where there's another way of making sense out of it, and that is a more of a nurturing way. In other words, the nurturing is not so much interested in the details and the frills to where critical thinking is. And that's why critical thinking often is associated with dukkha, to where nurturing thought is much more wholesome. So... Now that we're understanding that the kind of thoughts and perceptions that we have that tinges, and because that tinge theirs, and we continue to do that, those thoughts and perceptions will then bend the mind or lean the mind into a habit pattern. And if we can interrupt that habit pattern and change the way that we perceive things, then we can change those habits. And that we do that at that point of contact. When something contacts us, we can say instead of having it contact us, giving rise to feelings ignorantly, we can say at that point of contact, wait a minute, I have a choice here. I can feel the way that I want to. And one of the things that I can do is to go back and reevaluate, take another look, and reevaluate the thing, and then I can do that again. But if I ignorantly allow that contact, then the feelings arise, and those feelings arise are either feelings of confusion, feelings of um, uh, wanting to get rid of it, not liking it, or wanting to like it. And so feelings arise at that point of contact. That's why Patichar Samapada. In fact, what we've been talking about is. The vinya, the consciousness, the Sanya or the Nama Rupa of perception, and the Sankara together, giving rise to Salayatana, which is our internal representation. that internal representation may not be actually the real thing. It may be our own interpretation, but that's what contacts us, is our own internal realization. And in fact, that's a funny word, realization, because we really don't realize anything. We mentalize something. If I actually realized that that was a tree, that would mean that I would have a tree growing. I would realize a tree. I would grow one right out of the top of my head. Nope, that. So we don't realize things. We mentalize it or that we bring it into the reality of the internal world. This is what we call salyatana. And uh, the word in Pali, uh, Atana is actually the senses, so the salayatana is the internal senses of what we make of through our perceptions and our past, um, sankara, is what actually impacts us. Once something impacts us, if we are wise, we have a choice about how we're going to feel about it. If we are ignorant, in other words, at that point in sati, if we are wise to it, then we can choose. But mostly, we uh, the contact will cause a feeling to arise, and the feeling that arises is the one that we're familiar with, or the one that we already have the habit of. And so if... Uh, let us say if I was a child and I received some bad information in a letter or mail, then because of that, and I remember that and pour over it and, and whatnot, then when that child gets older, he when he opens a mail, he will begin to feel bad. And sometimes he knows that it might be a bill from the electric company, and so he doesn't want to see it. He knows I'm going to feel bad when I open that mail, and so he doesn't want to open mail anymore. And so it causes all kinds of trouble because he's avoiding something because what he's really avoiding is how he feels. He could have opened that mail, saw that this was the water bill or the electric bill, paid the electric bill because he owes the money and he could have felt good the whole time. Okay. Okay. So this is how we feel ignorantly is that we like things we don't like things or we don't we're not sure whether we like it or not this is vedana so far so good so we've covered uh, 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 vinya sanya or namarupa sankhata, uh and we can say just offhand with that Sankara the basis of that stuff was in ignorance that we were ignorant when we were children and that's a lot of the sankara is not wise it's false information so we are processing with bad information and that's what helps give us bad uh, mentalizations or bad realizations which then give us bad feelings
1: okay i'm just pulling up the wheel of origination so i'm following along with you here so I can I can just sort of see and not have to visualize it. Um, so let's see.
0: What is your reference? Are you looking in Wikipedia? Are you looking in a sutta? Are you looking? I can at
1: share. Uh, uh,
0: it, no, you don't have to share it. I don't. I just want to know the source of it.
1: Um, it's. Uh, it's a chart on k- kunine heart. It's hard to say, um, but it, it's it's going through each of the points that you say uh, you're discussing. It's just the words. It starts out of Vijja, moves into Sankara, moves into vin- Vinaya, moves into vinaya. Namarupa, vinya, moves moves into Namarupa, then um, Salayatana, then contact and Vedana, mm-hmm. um, and I just I just wanted to see that as it. Um, and see where if there's any sort of confusion Um, I guess the contact point um, the distinction between that and the six senses I'm not certain about Um, sort of like it feels like everything is contacting simultaneously Um,
0: let us not say simultaneously but let's say in rapid order Okay. and that there is various degrees, some things hit us harder than others that in fact some things hardly impact us at all and yet still manage how we're feeling an example of that would be a low grade anxiety that actually modifies our, our thoughts and our feelings because we really we're not aware of it. Mm. But if we are sitting in meditation and watching what's going on, we in fact may be more likely to become aware of that low-grade um, agitation, anxiety. And therefore, because of that wisdom, now we can deal with it. So we could say that when things are below the threshold, uh, or we call it subconscious, below the conscious level, then that would be, for sure, ignorance. And we do a lot of stuff ignorantly. But if we keep going over and over things and looking at it and investigating, we begin to see more clearly what's really going on. And so now we're beginning to operate with a whole lot less ignorance and a whole lot less
1: past
0: and operating much more in the present moment.
1: Okay. And so how does ignorance um, lead to Sankara?
0: Well, Sankara is merely the buildup of stuff. And Maybe if that'd... we're and if we ignorantly build up stuff, then there's going to be ignorance in that building up. So you the... have seen you possibly have seen uh brickwork that was done by a very, very skilled craftsman. And then you yes, have yeah. seen brickwork done by somebody who's it's their first time that they put up brickwork. All right? and it's going to be sloppy. Some bricks are not going to be flat. Some are going to be at an angle. Maybe the wall is tilted. All kinds of different possibilities for uh, the brickwork to not be good, okay? So this is why we need to practice over and over and over again, to keep looking at things over and over and over again, so that we can begin to see things more, more straight, more clearly, Because that first time that we did it, there was a lot of ignorance. The skilled uh, bricklayer now knows more about what's to do. But when we were born, we were born as children. And we started laying bricks. We started remembering things when we didn't have a clue about what was going on. Okay. Um, One example that I know of from the time that we were studying in psychology... Uh, Is that a a patient in a, um, it was in a uh, uh, facility, let us call it a nut house, (laughs) but uh, she was in this facility and that they found uh, her with very, very severe burns on her body. Now she had been there for a long time. But what had happened was, is that it was during the summertime, and that as a child, uh, this was in the days of radiators. And the severe burns came because she was hiding behind the radiator out of fear. But she was in the room alone, and she had a panic attack. And when she was in a panic attack, she hid behind a radiator in the summertime when she was a kid, and so she'd hide behind the radiator, and this time she hid behind the radiator, and the radiator was owned because it was winter time, right? But she got in the habit of hiding behind the radiator because she felt some security there when she was a child, and she did not have the knowledge that that radiator is dangerous. You can't hide behind it all the time. Okay, that's a very severe example, but we do that all the time in our own lives, is we do something, it doesn't hurt, we continue to do it, and later it hurts. Mm -hmm. Because the circumstances or conditions had changed. And so we started that habit out of ignorance. We did not know the potential possible danger. This is in fact what happens as we grow up, even, that the Buddha talks about it like this, that we can only see the gratitude... We can only see the, um, not the gratitude, uh, uh, let us say, we can only see the pleasure in something, or we can only see the gratification, that's the word I'm looking for. We can only see the gratification, but we can't see the danger. An example of that would be the guy who is fat. And he eats donuts. He loves donuts. He gets great gratification from eating donuts. And then he goes to the doctor, and the doctor says, wait a minute, there's something dangerous going on here. You've got high blood pressure, this, that, and the other thing. And he talks with the doctor, and the doctor figures out that, oh, this guy is addicted to donuts. And so now the doctor has to convince this fat guy that donuts are dangerous for you. Once the man really understands that donuts are dangerous, now he can find an escape for dangerous donuts. How can he escape them? By when he goes to the grocery store, he doesn't buy them. When he, if he finds them in the refrigerator, he'll throw them out. He makes sure that the donuts are not going to be there for him because he sees them now as dangerous. Okay? This is how ignorance operates is that we cannot see the danger once we can see the danger then we can find the escape so as you begin to see the danger in unwholesome thoughts you'll begin to plot your escape out of unwholesome thoughts into wholesome thoughts once you see that um that it's dangerous to have feelings of fear anger anxiety that they're dangerous then you can plot your escape From those feelings. Mm. Okay, so that's the the answer to your question about ignorance. Okay. Why does ignorance mess up everything? Is because when we're children, we cannot see the danger in things, and guess what? Even as adults, we cannot see the danger.
1: Okay. So this is you're describing. This is it unfolds into sankara, um, and my understanding of that isn't very clear I understand that it leads to these unwholesome states of mind and is that what sankara is
0: Uh, you could easily understand it just in the beginning to understand it is your sum total of your past
1: just like a karma like a
0: accumulation that's it action it's the accumulation of all the results of your past actions
1: and so on the uh, on the opposite hand as ignorance moves towards right view as you're gaining wisdom then is it you're reducing you're reducing the because it it doesn't seem like it's a reduction of karma it seems like it's a transition of karma to being more skillful
0: precisely so okay bhikkhu Dasa actually has a long article that was published in tricycle magazine uh, that comes out of a book that was published in 2017 um, that has to do with uh, the heartwood of the bow tree, but that's not the, uh, the right title. Uh, but it's a, a book that uh, that Santicaro has written in more recent times about Bhikkhu Buddhadasa. Uh, and so this is where uh, he's talking about it. That <clears throat> that this sankara is um, based basically just just our own memory systems, and everything that happens happens at, and and it gets built up. So in this article, uh. Buddha dasa talks about it the way that you did in the sense of uh, that it is our comma. and that the name of the article is uh, uh, the choice is yours you can either have a choice or you're if you don't make a choice if you don't wake up and ch- and make some choices then you are doomed to live in that old comma repetitive samsara so he talks about it like that. That's, in fact, you could say is our destiny. Mm. And our destiny is based upon that we keep operating in the same old way that we have been, ignorantly. We don't. We have not yet woken up to the danger. And so that ignorance is our destiny. But if we do wake up to the danger, now we can make a choice. And that choice is always to escape that old comma let's make a change here i don't have to feel scared i can feel secure i don't have to feel frustrated i can feel relaxed i don't have to think about that guy that took that money from me i can forget all about it
1: is this okay uh this is this ignorance is leading to this sankara, but it's ignorance, ignorance of. Of what? Of, of the cause of the suffering?
0: Okay, yes, that, that's one they, of the things we can be ignorant of just, is how, how did this suffering get caused? Also, we uh, can be ignorant of the extent of the suffering. Also, we can be um, uh, ignorant of uh, how to get out of this suffering. So there's all kinds of things that we uh, can be ignorant about. And that we spend our whole lives ignorantly accumulating information, some of which is uh, tinged with, uh, uh, with with incorrect data, Uh, And also, it's tinged with what you could call proliferations. Okay. Now, proliferations, we could go so far as to say proliferations are, in fact, inductive logic that is misunderstood or wrong. In other words, a person, let us say an alien. An alien comes to a certain place in the world and sees a whole lot of people. And everybody he sees is a man. And he recognizes man after man after man after man. And that's all he sees. And so he induces, therefore, there must not be any women. right? And more than likely, that alien has not gone into the houses to find out that the women are in the house and they don't go out. Okay, And so that would be uh, a, a mistake or an ignorance out of inductive logic. That because everything I see is a man, therefore there are no women, there are only men. And that's because we haven't gotten enough information. This is actually the problem with statistics. That's the problem with polls. If they got a really, really good sample, then it's going to be an accurate poll. The question is, how in the world can they get an Uh, you know, a good sample. They're really ignorant about that. So they say, well, we'll put our polls on the Internet, and now only people who go to that particular website will take that poll. Or if we call only telephone numbers, but wait a minute, you can't call a cell phone, you can only call landlines. Well, a lot of people only have cell phones, and so you miss an entire audience. Okay, yep. so this is the way that, that uh, Poles operate ignorantly. Giving ignorant results.
1: Yeah, it's, it's sort of like, I, I, I don't see any arhats I don't see any wise beings who've transcended suffering. I only see these, everyone's suffering. Therefore, there is no such thing as an, an escape. Mm-hmm. This is essentially... Where where I came out of, uh, it's like how could that be possible?
0: Exactly. But that's a, that's a, an inductive logic that may not be true. Yeah. That in fact I've had just the opposite experience because I made sure that I went out looking for them. That you're just standing in in the United States saying, I don't see any arahats around here. Therefore, there must not be any arahats. And my position was. Well, here I am in North or South Carolina, and I don't see any of her haunts. I'm going to go look for them where they are.
1: (laughs) That's what I I decided to do as well, except I can't leave. So I've had to kind of navigate the interwebs, just um, seeing if anyone has more wisdom than me and can solve this problem. Um, Okay, this makes sense. Um, And Sankar... (laughs) (laughs) Sankara then leads to Vinya.
0: Sankara leads to Vinya. Okay, it does eventually, yes. In fact, it's it's, it's very, very close. It's within a mind moment. All that stuff happens really quick.
1: Yeah, the goal is to see these as they're... Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's to see the uh, process of... Paticca samuppada as it's happening and Precisely. from from that um, acquire uh, wisdom. Okay,
0: Exactly. That's in fact the, uh, the whole idea. Why would the Buddha even teach this? The answer is, is because he could see this stuff finally that he was no longer ignorant and now that he is pointing it out to us it's for us to see it. Once we can see this stuff, now we know how to begin to manage it. And eventually, the better at managing it we are. This is a very important quality about the way that the uh, the ten fetters are structured. That the first three fetters are to be abandoned by seeing. And that's why the whole path is called... Um, knowledge and deliverance vimuti. in the sense that we don't have the deliverance or the freedom until we can plot the escape and we cannot plot the escape until we can see the danger clearly and so yeah. the whole first process is to be able to wake up and see these dangers once we can see the dangers Now we can plot the escape. And the first three fetters is all about seeing things clearly. And so the first fetter is personality view. Who am I? The answer to that is a moving target as best. (laughs) Not only is it that it's um, a moving target, but it's also... um, have you ever been to uh, uh, the the uh, the carnival, the sideshows at the carnival, and, and uh, seen uh, cork guns or BB guns or whatever like that, trying to knock over targets? And, and, and not only are they moving around, but some of them pop up and come down, and they're up yep. and they're down. Well, you know when it's down that it's going to pop up, and then you can shoot it when it pops up, and it'll pop back down. The self is kind of like that, except not only is the self then a moving target, like a row of ducks going along like that, but they're popping up and down also. Sometimes there's a self, sometimes there's not. And when there's a self, it's almost always associated with dukkha. How does the self actually pop up? It pops up based upon conditions or causes. So when some event happens that causes us Uh, to have a salayatana or to make a mental image or to uh, realize something on the inside that contacts us that contact gives rise to feelings the feelings of liking ignorantly while we're still ignorant and all we do is like it then we make the connection I like it therefore I want it if we I have the feeling of, I don't like it, or it's an unpleasant feeling, then we have uh, the tendency to go into trying to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. So wanting it brings it to us, and not liking it, we have the feeling of wanting to push it away. Right? This wanting to bring it to us, or wanting to push it away, is called tanha. Tanha in the pali and what that means in english we could use the simple word of want i want it i don't want it i like it i want it is the sequence vedana i like it goes to want it the wanting then goes to from just and and by the way the the going towards it to bring in is also the same thing that we would call in in english grasping And as I'm grasping, as I want that object, then I'll seize hold of it. And that's what we call clinging or upadana. Okay. That's also the same thing then as going from the sequence I like it, I want it, into the judgment of it must be good. Or if I don't like it, then that means that I want to get rid of it, I don't want it, and therefore, it must be bad. These are all ignorant things. Just because I like it doesn't mean that I want it. And just because I want it doesn't mean that it must be good. I may be wanting something ignorantly that's bad for me.
1: Okay, so so Upadana, the distinction between Upadana and, and Tanha is Tanha is the, it's just like a
0: A feeling that hanhana is leaning and Upadana is falling over.
1: Okay. Is is there really a, a like a a sharp distinction or is it just kind of like a progression? It's of, a
0: progression. Exactly.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: Then in fact there is already clinging built into the grasping.
1: Yeah. I've never been certain of where one starts and the other ends, or it just seems kind of It's
0: a spectrum. It's a spectrum, precisely. But this whole thing is a spectrum. One thing leading into the other.
1: Mm, Yes.
0: Um, One process after another, after another. So one conditions the next one to the next one. Now, once we get to this point of actually clinging to some, some object, mental or otherwise, this Upadana is now... Uh, in the Buddhist um, system leads to four modes of clinging. That's a very interesting thing, four modes of clinging, because that also understands that these four modes of clinging also will take us into the four woeful states, and they also have direct relationship to uh, more modern teachings, that the Buddha didn't talk about. He used the term underlying tendencies, but the word underlying tendencies in the suttas is not a particular fixed list of four. But it's just the general things. But when we look at it in more scientific terms, we can see that that these four modes of clinging are actually the four uh, scientific uh, modes of instinct. So the clinging to the self is the self-preservation instinct. Uh, Clinging to sensuality, sensual desires, and materialism is the procreation instinct. Clinging to rights, rules, rituals, and the way things should be done in order to get along, that's the nesting instinct. And our attachments are clinging to um, uh, views, the way things are, identifications and all of that kind of stuff is the is marking our territorial boundaries or the territorial instinct in other words I define who I am by what I believe I define who I am by the territory that I live in therefore the territory that I live in is bounded by uh, the borders of France therefore I must be French because I'm within those borders that defines who I am Okay, this okay. is the territorial instinct. So one of the territorial instincts that we can have as a uh, view is Democrats are good and Republicans are not. Or the other way around is is that Democrats and Republicans are bad and I'm independent. Right? These are identifications, and this comes out of the old um, nest, uh, territorial instinct, and that territorial instinct is very, very strong And it is directly related to the uh, the nesting instinct in the sense of, this is my group, this is my nest, this is my little place, this is where I'm safe at night, and everything else is not. So therefore the nest becomes part of the boundary of the territorial boundary. And Mm -hmm. anything that does not belong in the nest is an outsider, they're out of the territory. This gives rise then to racism, tribalism, otherisms, sexism, uh, bigotry, and all of those kind of things. But it also has to do with identification and attachments to organizations, governments, patriotism, and all of that kind of stuff. And it always has that critical division of us against them. Or this is my way, and theirs is the highway. Where's the highway lead? Out of the territory, surprisingly enough. haha. <laughs> Go away. Don't be here. And so this is how the Buddha is talking about... Um, Attachments to views, a thicket of views, an interpretation of views, all kinds of things, is to be dropped. That we begin to drop our territorial instincts. That Those instincts that arose naturally as um, as instinctual things also arose ignorantly because we weren't watching what was going on. And so ignorant feelings for the adult can arise of, I don't know who he is, but he's not the right color, because all the people I know are of this particular color, and he doesn't have that color. Or all the people I know dress in this way, and he doesn't dress this way, he dresses in another way, therefore he is outside, he's an outsider, he's another person, he's dangerous in fact. And this leads back to something else that we need to re- go back to, and that is the issue of Vedana for just a moment. And that is, there's a third kind of feeling. And that third kind of feeling in the Pali is, is known as du- duka esukha vedana, which means that it's not either pleasant nor unwanted. That in fact, uh, but it is not a neutral feeling because a neutral feeling wouldn't even contact us or impact us. So, because something impacted us, a feeling arises. But sometimes we don't know how to feel about it. We don't know whether it's a um, uh, something that we should like or not. This is what gives rise to doubt. Okay. Ignorantly doubt. Wisely, it gives rise to investigation, to uh, curiosity. With wisdom, asuka a du Vedana will say, "What's this what's going on with this?" But normally, the thing when it comes up of uh, they don't know what it is, they say, "Oh no, I don't know what that is. It must be bad." <laughs> yeah this is our instinct to the territory it comes from outside we don't quite know what it is let's automatically assume it's bad without doing a thorough investigation to find out really what is there so back then so you can see how this confusion feeling actually does bring up the territorial instinct quite easily so so uh, we have four modes of clinging. One is clinging to the identification of self. The second one is clinging to identification of material goods, um, pleasure-seeking objects, uh, furniture to sit on, carpet to, uh, to walk on, socks and shoes to have, that kind of stuff, uh, Our material goods. So we have this whole idea of materiality. That it, in fact, in the really, really old days, we I remember seeing cartoon of a, uh, uh, let's say, uh, a Neanderthal kind of guy, uh, dressed in a bearskin with a club in one hand and a hank of hair of a woman in his left hand, and he's dragging her into the cave. That shows absolute ownership or domination, and you can see where the actual procreation instinct. Is really all about ownership. She's my girl. I own her. Mm -hmm. So this whole idea of ownership and control of an object, whether it's a pocket knife or a set of keys or whatever it is, we attach to this as if it was mine. And in fact we use our material objects to protect the self, that we use it for self-preservation. This is why people will carry a weapon, a material object that is supposed to give them safety and security. Why? Because they don't have safety and security built in. They've got danger built in. Why is the danger there? It's because they saw things ignorantly. Okay. So now we have these four modes of clinging. We have self-preservation instinct as a clinging to the self. We have materialism and sensual objects that is part of the uh, procreation instinct. We have the nesting instinct, which gives rise to all of our rites, rules, rituals, ways to fit in. And this is the place where we find most of the discursive thought. Also, the discursive thought will be in, uh, but not so much, in our in our uh, attachment to views. Normally, the thinking is, um, can get very intricate. In other words, we can get into long dissertations about why this political party is better than that political party. But basically, it comes down to the feeling of, I like it, therefore I want it. And I don't like that one, therefore I want to get rid of that one. Okay, so this is how our views, but the one that's so complicated is the nesting instinct, because this is where we, ignorantly as children, learn to follow the rules, to get, learn to go along to get along. And so um, we, we, we create for ourselves a map or a framework of how things should be. Mm When we're children, and we build that map up ignorantly, that we could go so far as to say, this is how we're building that Sankara is we're building it through this nesting instinct, or we're building it because we're automatically, instinctually uh, attracted to and cling to uh, rights, rules, and rituals, or let us say, the rules of the nest, the the house rules. Every house has house rules. Mm-hmm. Okay, why do we have house rules? That's coming out of the of, of the nesting instinct. Uh, the idea is is that um, the nest is safe, but someone in charge of the nest. And so, if one of the uh, members of the nest is misbehaving himself, he can get thrown out of the nest. But getting thrown out of the nest is dangerous. The predators are out there. If I stay in the nest, I'll be safe. If I have to get, if I'm thrown out of society, if I'm thrown out of the nest, then things are dangerous. Mm-hmm. Okay. And for that reason, uh, because they're dangerous, that means it's still tied back to the self-preservation instinct. So we selfishly then start to take up a set of rules. This is how it should be, this is how it should not be. I should do this. Well, now what we do when we're adults is we will often rehearse some of these rules that we have learned, like you should do this, you should do that. One student was telling me that he was watching uh, YouTube videos and while he was watching YouTube videos, he was telling himself, you should be meditating. You ought to be meditating instead of while he's watching the uh, the video, he could immediately begin to start meditating right then. He could take a deep breath and smile and relax and say, okay, I'm finding something wholesome in this video. But no, he goes into unwholesome thoughts. And while he's having unwholesome thoughts, oh, I should be watching, I should not be watching this video. I should be meditating. Number one, he's not meditating. And two, now he's not watching the video. He's having unwholesome thoughts instead. What is the unwholesome thought? You should go do this. And the internal child inside is saying, no, I don't want to do that. I want to watch the video. No, you go do this. And so you can see these dialogues coming up. Each one of them coming out of one of these four modes of clinging. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so these four modes of clinging, then, when we cling, we are now being reborn into a woeful state. One of the possible woeful states that we can be born into is hell. Hell is a woeful state. Why is hell a woeful state? It's because we'll do anything we we can to get out of it. We really don't like it, but we can't. So when people get angry, they get hot. When people are full of anxiety or even have a little bit of anxiety, this is a hot, this is heat, and we don't like it. Mm -hmm. But we're crapped in it. We're actually reborn. This is actually the the birth of the self now is fully born, even though it only took about a half a second or so from the time that we saw an object to now we're in hell about it. It's For the, instance, uh... it's possible that you can see somebody carrying a Confederate flag and within a half a second you could be in hell. Ah, I don't like those Confederate flags. Oh, he's a communist. No, he's not a communist. He's a slave driver, you know, and you can hear all of that stuff come up just because we saw something and we connected with all of the past.
1: This is uh, my understanding of the six realms of existence. Is that applied to this, um, to this specifically?
0: Yes, the these four unwoeful unwo- uh, states then correspond to the four modes of clinging.
1: Oh, the Depending four unwoeful. Point- I don't. I'm not sure about. I don't know those four unwoeful states.
0: Okay, uh, we've already covered one of the four unwoeful states. Hell. The second woeful state is called the hungry ghost, or in Pali, the pita. What is a hungry ghost? It's someone who wants something and wants something and wants something, but can't have it. So the pita is is a woeful state of wanting something you have that you don't have. Okay. It's a state of desire. It comes basically from I see something, I like it, and I therefore I like it, I want it, but I can't have it.
1: Yes, yeah,
0: I okay. know what that is, yeah. All right, so that's the pita. The next one, um, is the animal, the woeful state of an animal. What is an animal? We're not talking about wild animals here, we're talking about domesticated animals. Why? Because you, as a child, became a domesticated animal. Mm-hmm. How were they? How were you domesticated? Well, they gave you what you wanted when you behaved the way that they wanted you to. Which means that the animal does what it's told to do, whether it gets what it wants or not. Mm -hmm. So, you were promised things. This is where the law of karma comes in. The law of karma really comes into this uh, uh, place of doing what we're told to do. That, In fact, it fits quite well. With the, the nesting instinct or the herding instinct, we can see the animal connection immediately, right? Doing what you're told to do. And guess what? You've got a great big long set of rules of what you should do built right in. How is it built in? You collected those things ignorantly as memories. You should do this. You should do that. You should live this way. You should wear that shirt today. You should go to work today. You should stay home today. All of that kind of stuff that's in there with all of these rules. And we follow them ignorantly, like a dumb animal. And so, one of the stories I have about it is when I was in India, I saw a donkey with a big pole uh mounted on his back and the other end of the pole went to a um a stone that turned around upon another giant stone. And so as the donkey walked around in this thirty foot circle, he was pulling the stone around, grinding stuff, and so the the owner was putting sugarcane in there and sugarcane juice was coming out of the of the bottom and he could collect it in a glass. And he would sell that sugarcane juice for 10 rupees. How much of that sugarcane goose juice does the donkey get?
1: None, yeah.
0: None of it. He's going along to get along. He's doing what he's told to do. He's somehow hoping to get a reward, and he never gets it. Mm-hmm. Our whole society is built this way. Our whole society is built that way. Learn your ABCs. Why should I learn ABCs? So you can read. Why should I want to read? It's because you can't get a job if you can't read. Why should I want a job? You want to eat if you don't read. Right? And so all of this is layered and layered and layered upon us as children. And we're too dumb as kids to recognize that we're being lied to. We're being lied to. We're being coerced into doing things that adults want us to do. What do the adults want us to do? They want us to do what they had to do when they were kids. And so the way that a parent is raised is the way he's going to raise his kids by and large. And so if a child is raised with violence in the home, then there's going to be violence in the home when he's an adult. Because of that ignorance, that we begin to pick up whatever is there, whether there's ignorance built into it or not. But with the teachings of the Buddha, now we can begin to see with wisdom, hey, I don't have to do things just because I'm told to do it. I have the choice of enjoying it also. I don't merely have to do it because I'm told to do it, hoping for a reward later. I can get all the reward I need out of it right now. Mhm-hmm mm-hmm. And so this is how wisdom will help us come out of these woeful states. Now we've touched three of them. The fourth one is a little complicated because many people think that it's a heavenly world. It's the Titans or the Asuras. But really what we're talking about is not uh, heavenly worlds, but magical creatures, magical warriors. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, like the Titans are magical warriors in the Greek system. In fact, I think that the, the Titans and the Asuras come from the same mentality place. Um, uh, and so it would be natural for people to have these ideas of these heavenly creatures that are all dressed up for battle, but don't go to battle. Okay. All dressed up and no place to go. The child who knows his part and when it's time to walk out on stage instead of just going out and performing and having a joy, he has stage fright. Fear. This is the ashura, the one who is afraid to go into battle. Possibly the the most humorous example of that was McClellan. Have you ever heard of McClellan? McClellan was the general who got uh, Lincoln's army ready to go into battle for the uh, Civil War, and McClellan was really excellent at training. He really got that army in top-notch shape, but as soon as Lincoln wanted him to go to battle again, he said, well, wait a minute, we need this and we need that, and when he got this and he got that, then he says, well, we need this too, and finally he got the army in such really brilliant shape, but he still wouldn't let him go to battle. Finally, 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 he was replaced. And Lincoln got uh, a new general, uh, Grant. And Grant took that first class, very highly trained, very sophisticated army, uh, took it up through Ohio, put it on the river, came down the Vicksburgs on the Mississippi and went from Vicksburgs all the way to Savannah and just destroyed the, the South. Just cut it in half with that first class crack um, army that he uh, inherited from McClellan. Why wouldn't McClellan do that? Because he was stuck in that state of fear. He's not ready yet. He's not ready yet. He's not ready yet. Okay, that makes okay. sense. And this is one of those kinds of clinging that we have. It's one of the four modes of clinging that gives rise to fear. And when we're fearful, that's the that, that whole point of, I'm not ready for this. That's what fear really is, is I can't handle this. Well, guess what? With wisdom, you can recognize, you can handle anything. You can even handle getting shot. You can handle dying. You can handle anything. And through wisdom, through inductive logic, you recognize I can handle these little things, then I can handle the big ones when they come by too. And so we do not have to get stuck in this state of Asura, who is all ready for battle and is afraid to go to battle. Still not ready. Still not ready. These are the four modes of clinging, fear, anger, going along to get along and not enjoying what we're doing. And wanting things that we don't have. These are the four modes of uh, clinging that uh, are the four woeful states that we get ourselves into. Guess what? Now that you know that, any time that you recognize that you've gotten yourself into one of those states, you can say, hey, I don't have to do this. I can come out of this thought process. I can take a deep breath and start giving myself some wholesome thoughts instead.
1: Yeah, the, the issue, the main issue is that what arises in the becoming appears as if it's me. As like a, it's an expression that I sometimes it's hard to create the distance between myself mm-hmm. and this as a process.
0: exactly. that's that's why uh, in the Buddha we talk about it that that is what is reborn is the woeful state of suffering. And all of that stuff comes together as a package. The grasping, the clinging, the uh, um, uh, the four modes of clinging, uh, becoming and being born into the hell world or uh, um, an unwholesome state that is suffering. Bang, 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 bang. Just like that.
1: Yeah. and then only, only
0: that's slower. <laughs> the bang, 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 bang is way too slow. It happens. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's all it's like uh, less than a second, um, mm-hmm. and that leads to the aging and death of that, which is inherently uh, dukkha. Just uh, it's
0: inherent. Once you're born in that woeful state, that's a painful state. It's It gets old in a hurry and it makes everything sick.
1: And it's interesting because even even though they're woeful, if they're identified with, it's still protected. In my experience, even this, say, depression, it arises and identif- it's identified with and the process of it, it's like self-protective. Like the, for it to go away that, even is. is
0: That's exactly right. In fact, depression would then be the asura That would be being born into the woeful state of I'm not ready for this.
1: I'm not ready to cast away dukkha or to proceed mm-hmm. on the path. Well, I mean, I'm not ready to go out on
0: and uh, go out on the town. I'm not ready to go have a ball. I'm not ready to go play in my
1: life. Exactly. Yeah, this that's is something, dangerous. <laughs> this is a common, this is actually a common theme with me. Um, I, I almost, I'm not ready to be happy in a way. Like, I'm not, like, I can see I could let go of that. Like, it's, but it's a protect, it's, it feels safe. It feels safe to be identified with something that's been here for so long.
0: Exactly so. Wow, that's so insightful. Thank you for saying it that way. That's exactly correct. But now you're beginning to wake up to not only does that feel safe and secure because it's comfortable and old and familiar, it's also dangerous.
1: Yes I that's that's the, the, the reason that will peel off the, the clinging uh, onto that is, is seeing the danger and have until to that,
0: see it, the danger
1: Until it's seen it's almost like I, you can put it off indefinitely right.
0: That's exactly the ignorance. The ignorance is that we cannot see the danger in dangerous things, because once we can see the danger, we can plot our escape.
1: And and what? So that makes the connection. So when it arises, um, it's it'll be. A, it's a good point to see. Okay, how is this a dangerous? Um, t- t- to investigate and see because I hear when you say to, to cast it away and that's good and I agree but there's also well maybe I haven't seen the danger because there's a reason it keeps coming up and so part of it seems like part of it is casting it off or abandoning it and another part is looking at it and seeing the danger there
0: Ah, but again, I hear what you're saying, I think, has to do with over a long period of time. Okay. And what we want to do is always bring this back to this present moment. That Petit Samupada doesn't happen over a period of time. It happens bzzz, like that. Okay. And so I- we have to catch it in that <laughs> sequence. So, any time that you can see this thought is unwholesome, then you can cast this thought out. That's the way that we begin to do it is to see this thought is dangerous, this thought is unwholesome. And we do it by having these flags planted and uh, of the, called them the hindrances in the sense of um, uh, thoughts of the past, thoughts of the future, thoughts of wanting things. And in fact, if you want something and you recognize that you want it and you don't have it, you can see immediately the danger of Uh, the dukkha that exists in not getting what you want. Therefore, well, I don't want anything right now. I can be relaxed and comfortable right now. I don't have to have that girl or that motorcycle or that job Mm. or that new laptop. I can be okay right now without any of the things that I can think of that I want. Okay.
1: Yeah, I think the, the way I approached it may have been trying to find something Outside of it just being dukkha. As dangerous. Um, I guess I haven't.
0: The only uh, thing that's dangerous. Is this unwholesome thought.
1: Okay. Yeah. It has, sometimes it just doesn't strike. That this is a dangerous thing. Because it's just so common. But. Um, You've had a fact, lot of them. Yeah. The yeah, fact, I mean, so the fact you that see it the exists. The fact mm-hmm. it exists. Is, is already enough. To point out oh this is this is a bad uh, this is a dangerous mm-hmm. object to mm-hmm. indulge in
0: okay So when we have thoughts of I like this I want that or if we have thoughts of I don't like that I want to get rid of it then that's, those two kinds of thoughts are hindrances. They're also critical thoughts that we can think of as unwholesome thoughts or dangerous thoughts or thoughts that are critical and yet our whole society is built upon critical thinking this is good but that's better and this one's even better than that and our whole life is that way of judging which is good, which is better, which is good, which is bad and that um, a much more wholesome way is, is that everything is okay Everything is fine right now. I don't have to think about this being good and that being bad, and therefore I want the good and I want to get rid of the bad. But rather that Everything's okay right now. Why should I worry about what's good and what's bad? Everything's all right. So we call of it in the sense of nurturing. A really good example of that is when a baby is born, the baby, brand new baby, mom bonds with it, has very, very high levels of um, oxycodone, in her system, and they call that the bonding chemical, and she has that for for a long time, years after the child is born. Everything the child does is beautiful. We nurture that child. Mm -hmm. Even the first dump the child takes, great big turd after three or four days, and everybody's very happy. But what happens later, let's say that kid's 15 years old now, and he takes a big dump on turd right there on the kitchen floor, they're not going to be so nurturing now. They're going to be really critical. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So we we have uh, then go we go through a process as a very young child of going out of a nurturing environment into a critical environment that mom no longer is going to be nurturing with us. Now she wants some payback. I fed you a bottle. Now it's time for you to clean up your room. Now it's time for you to put down your cell phone and do your homework. Now is the time to learn your ABCs, do your homework, do your math, okay? And so we teach our children to be critical and the children start doing that ignorantly. Yes, mom, I'll do what you tell me to do. I don't know why, but I do know that if I don't do it, I'm gonna get fussed at and yelled at. And so I do it. So the child becomes an animal Mm. That's that woeful, and then we, then we get into those animal states when we're adults, because they're very easy to get into, we've gotten into the habit of becoming an animal, of just doing what we're told to do, to go along, to get along, that we don't really think through each moment, mm. and yeah, we wind up then suffering often.
1: It's the path of least resistance.
0: Just we take the path of least resistance exactly not recognizing that that li- that path to, of least resistance is actually the highway to hell
1: okay and easy assume way
0: that, out can get really dangerous
1: yeah i assume that's why you know right application right effort is amended like it does take effort right it's not this is reconditioning but it has to be guided with right view and so um but there is there is this like um it almost feels like you're going against uh you're going uh perpendicular to the condition pattern like the what what it wants to do and, when, and what practice is saying are in two separate directions um and yeah it seems just effort until you get used to that Okay. Um, Yeah, this makes sense.
0: Um, Okay, so now we've completed the circle. We've gone from Vedana. To Tanha. From Tanha to Upadana. From Upadana, that's when we have the Baba and the Jati, which is the becoming and being born into that woeful state. When we take on those four modes of clinging, that is Baba and Jati. In fact, you can see that there's a relationship between Baba and uh, Tanha, as well as the relationship uh, as opposed to that would be the Upadana and the Jati. So as we begin to reach towards something, that's the becoming of the self, and once we grab hold of it, and take it, and uh, we're actually now being reborn into that woeful state. Yeah, so we're right. becoming, and then we become, and All of that happens just in a split second. And that woeful state, then, is a state of dukkha. It gets old in a hurry.
1: It, it is really quite... Uh, I don't know if shocking is the right word, but a, surprising that this is rebirth. in a, Like, the... The selves that I am now—they're changing, um, and they're—they're—they're they're, they're being born and they're dying. Um, yeah, it really highlights. Like I think, because a lot of times the rebirth process is seen as this cross lifetime ex, uh, uh, activity, sort of like the assumption that after this life I'll be reborn into this, and that it stops there.
0: But look how delicious that belief is. Yeah, sure, <laughs> it's a really delicious belief. Oh, I'll live forever. Oh, that means that I'll be forgiven of all of these sins, or uh, uh, yeah, or, or whatnot, right? So, it's happening uh, this, now.
1: yeah,
0: mm-hmm, and and we fail to realize that that being reborn again over and over again into these woeful states happens moment by moment. So when we have that delicious belief that of... Uh, let's talk about it in the sense of reincarnation. And that the the Buddhist teaching of rebirth is, is not the same as the Hindu reincarnation. And yet most Western Buddhists, they don't know the difference between rebirth and reincarnation. That mm. in fact, the actual teaching of rebirth is to help people come out of their belief in reincarnation, and yet most Western Buddhists don't know the difference, and because of that, they see rebirth and reincarnation as the same thing. Okay, yeah. Okay, we had a discussion
1: being, on, yeah, on this at one point.
0: Okay, on this point before, that, the, the point about the rebirth then is, is that, wait a minute, the Buddha teaches there is no self. If there is no self, then there's no self to be reborn. Which means that whatever it is, it is reborn to take over the uh, inheritance of the comma that was left. Is not me. If it's not me, why should I give a flying rip? The me not only d- didn't die when I was uh, when the body broke up, but the me dies
1: dozens of times a day. Yeah, it seems it seems people people both they want no self and they want self and they want, (laughs) it's like, it's, it's kind of interesting how that can even be a logical um, Mm -hmm. conclusion.
0: Well, you can also see the danger in that there is danger in the belief that, uh, uh, that after the body breaks up, uh, there will be something of me being reborn. If people have that belief, then what it will lead to, is that, oh, that takes the uh, pressure of the present moment, the immediacy out of it. Oh, I've got lifetimes and lifetimes to become a Buddha. Why should I bother to do it right now? Uh, And along with that, oh, it must be really, really hard to get anywhere. Therefore, I should make some merit for a long time. And after I get enough merit, then the job of becoming a Buddha will be a whole lot easier. And I'm willing to wait. Okay. And then the uh, another danger would be those. So this group that we're talking about in the beginning. The beginning Buddhist. Even the nations. Buddhist countries. Will be full of people. Who don't want to practice according to the Buddha. Because they have this silly belief. That they can wait. That they can make some merit now. And there's an awful lot of shyster monks that'll say, okay, I'll tell you what, if you donate a whole bunch of money to the, to the bank, if you, if you buy uh, me an airplane, a jet plane, I can fly all over the place delivering the gospel, then thou shalt be saved. Mm. So this, So that whole idea of you pay now to get a reward later. That's again being nothing but a dumb animal. The dumb animal is the one who believes in rebirth. Oh, I'll get my reward, I'll get my freedom, I'll get my uh, Buddhahood later. And so we can see that mistake in the sense of, um, even if the person doesn't believe in rebirth that way, they still have the concept that it is me, and therefore, uh, if I practice hard enough, I can become a Buddha in this very life is the next kind of delusional sense. And that this is actually much more of an atheistic point of view, uh, and I define it, the atheist is uh, uh, technically an annihilationist, and this is what we mean. Upon the breakup of the body, the existing self is annihilated. Right? Therefore, between now and the time I die, I can become a Buddha. Right? Right? Yes. Uh, but that's not again the teachings of the Buddha. There is no self to be annihilated upon the break of the death. The unenlightened uh, self can die right now, and then there is no self. And now there is Buddha. Right now, and that Buddha will last until the next unwholesome thought comes up, that uh, that generates the self.
1: Yeah, it's 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 interesting how those assumptions will dictate the trajectory of someone's practice and attention where it's a self-based becoming or bhava as a practice as opposed to actually a deconstructing of this
0: whole. I know, isn't dependent. that amazing? E- the, even the Zen folks know that, when the Zen master will say, hey man, you're already enlightened just sit there and enjoy it just sit, just Zai Zen, you're already enlightened, you don't have to gain anything, just enjoy what you've got right now
1: it's, it's unpalatable <laughs> to uh to think, but it's, it's. But you know they're suffering here still. They're still suffering.
0: Well, throw it out. Catch it. Grab sure. it by the tail. Paint it red and throw it out. Aha! <laughs> uh-huh, I see you unwholesome thought. Mm. And come back to a state of joy. Come back to a state of pleasure. Come back to a state of homeostasis. Uh, many way... Uh, uh, this moment, well-lived. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Wow. <laughs> you can. Right. So that's the whole teaching of the teacher is to get out of our future-oriented mentality and come to right now.
1: And everything... Everything and experience um, will lie on, on one of these uh, 12 points, right? 12, yeah. Like everything that can be um, experienced, so all of the aggregates, so any anything that you notice will lie at some point in this, in this yes. cycle.
0: Actually, this is uh, why... The five aggregates are a very, very excellent introduction to Patija Samapada because all five of those aggregates are there in the Patija Samapada.
1: Mm,
0: I see. That. Okay, the sankara of the body, the sankara of speech, the sankara of um, uh, emotions are already there. In okay, so the feelings. The body, perception, consciousness, and um, the sankara of our memories and all of that, none of those things are self. Well, if none of those things are self, then where does the self come from? The answer to that would be process or sequence of events. Another way of looking at it um, can be thought of as the chariot in the sense of um, there is a, uh, a realm of science called general systems theory. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of general systems yes. theory? Okay, one of the qualities of it is open and closed systems. And one of the quality of a system is is that a system is greater than the sum of the parts. So we can say it like this, that, um, we'll use a modern day automobile. An automobile is a collection of parts that if you took that car apart and put the motor over there, the wheels over there, the tires over there, the back seats over there, the front seat over there, the steering wheel down the block, uh, um, all of the parts are scattered all over the yard. Then that car, there's not a car It's car parts is only when all of those parts together, come together in the correct order and in the correct um, arrangement, is it a car? For instance, if you put the wheels on top of it and put the motor under the chassis, that's not gonna be much of a car. You gotta Mm -hmm. put it together correctly. But when you do put together, together correctly and the system now is a functioning system, there is a hole that is greater than those sum of the parts for a moment what is that in the car is transportation what is it for the human being it's the self the self is greater than the actual sum of the parts but when you look at each individual part there's no self there which means that the self is very very transitory and very highly dependent upon a whole lot of stuff and when any of those or all of those things are missing then where is the self the magical thinking is the self is still there oh no the self is gone when the functionality is gone
1: mm-hmm.
0: when there's no body when there's no mind when there's no feelings and where is the possibility of a self to arise
1: yeah it seems it seems straightforward
0: <laughs> it's so logically i don't understand why they don't just teach it in school
1: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there would be some problems with that in the West. but
0: I Yeah, agree. there would be, wouldn't there? Not against just the Christians be against it, the capitalists would be against it, the government officials would be against it, the teachers would be against it. Because once the students understand the teacher of they say, okay, teacher, it was really nice knowing you. <laughs> Bye-bye, <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> the whole society, in a way, would fall apart. Exactly. If people really knew what was going on, our society is based upon a pack of lies. Magical thinking.
1: Well, they they think, sorry, I was going to say, they think uh, you're the one with magical thinking, which is ironic. Yeah. But I just wanted to point that out since it seems as if um, this discussion is really looking at what's here and the rejection of this is fairly common as just a principle of clinging
0: exactly and the reason for that is the the basic point is that right now is not good enough hmm. the whole society built upon this is not good enough it could be better this moment is not good enough it could be better let's work on it and improve it Which means that everything is dissatisfying. Everything is dukkha. And so it really is kind of a magical thinking when you just say, everything is already okay. I don't have to do anything to fix anything. There's nothing broken here. And I can relax. (laughs)
1: This has been a fruitful conversation, Damarata. Pardon? I said this has been a fruitful conversation, Damarato.
0: I'm really glad that you're getting something out of it. I've really enjoyed it also.
1: Mm. It's a bit, it's a bit late here, but um, until until we meet again, I'll I'll be quite vigilant with the uh, the tending of this this cycle of origination. I think it's.
0: It was really good to see you again. I very much enjoyed it. I hope to see you again soon.
1: Yeah. You as well. I'm sure it will be. Sooner than last time.
0: (laughs) Julian, enjoy your moment. You too. Blessings. Thank you.